0: In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Oh, as, the Archbishop and Anglic- as the Archbishop of the Anglican Church in North America and also the Chairman of GAFCON, which is the Global Anglican Future Conference, it's a joy to be here at St. Philip's today. Uh, thank you. Uh, Jeff, for allowing me to uh, share your pulpit today. it's uh, Since seminary days, it's been a, actually a dream come true to preach from this pulpit. I'll be honest. <laughs> I want to say thank you as well for the hospitality you've shown to Allison and me. Uh, the Charleston hospitality, is, you just can't beat it. But also thank you for your prayers for us um, as we serve you in this capacity. It makes all the difference. I mean, it was a great joy to uh, share in the ordination and consecration of Chip Edgar as your new bishop yesterday, um, you have a, a man of God as your new bishop, and it's a real privilege to, to be able to serve with you, brother. Um, I thought before we preach this morning, uh, we ought to just take a moment and pray for the people of Ukraine. So let's, let's pray together. Father, our hearts are broken as we see the heartache, the pain, the suffering that's being inflicted on the people of Ukraine, and many of those are your people. And so we ask in the name of Jesus that you would come and help them, that you would be their deliverer, and that you would guide the leaders of the world to bring peace in Ukraine. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a question in the Bible which is a very important, eternal question. The question is so important that it could mean the difference between life and death, heaven and hell. This question was asked to Jesus, and I'd like to share it with you this morning. So if you have your Bible or if you have your service insert, uh, please open to Luke chapter 13. We're going to start with verse 22 and walk through this text today and see what the Lord might be saying to us. Luke 13, we'll start with verse 22. Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He set his face toward the cross and what is going to happen there with his death. He stopped on the way and he's asked this very important question. And his answer to this question, I think, is very important to you and I in our time today. What does he really think about heaven, about life? Life after death. What does he really think about eternity? This is an all-important eternal question. So look at verse 23. Someone said to him, Lord, will those who were saved be few? Lord, will those who were saved be few? Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Now the word saved means to be delivered or healed, made whole, preserved. It's from a Greek word called sozo. And in this context, especially in verses 27 and 28, sozo means salvation. It means heaven. It means life after death. Lord, are only a few people going to heaven? Lord, are only a few people going to receive salvation? Lord, are only a few people going to enter the kingdom of God? And then Jesus responds in several ways. First, he pictures the entranceway to heaven. Look at verse 24. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able. Strive to enter the narrow door. It's literally translated, make every effort to enter in at the straight gate. New Testament scholar Michael Wilcox says this, he says, It is the door to eternal life, to heaven, to the kingdom of God, which is narrow. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 verse 13 said this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Basically, he's saying the road that leads to destruction is like a six-lane highway. And the road that leads to life is like a narrow mountain trail. Jesus in John chapter 10 verse 7 said this, "I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door." If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, kill and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the narrow door. He is the way to eternal life. And it's a pretty narrow way. It drives the secular intellectuals crazy. How can you say Jesus is the only way? What about all the other religions in the world? Or Jesus may be the way for you, for, for you Christians, but don't push that on all humanity. There are many ways to God. Jesus says, make every effort to enter by the narrow door or the narrow gate. It's the way to eternal life. It's the way to abundant life. It's the way to be saved. He says it another way in John 14:6. He said, I am the way, the truth. And the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. So first, Jesus pictures the entranceway to heaven. It's a narrow door, and this door is actually Jesus himself. Secondly, Jesus pictures an aspect of heaven as a feast. Look at verse 29. And people will come from east and west and north and south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. Many times, Jesus compares the kingdom of God and and heaven as a feast. Remember the parable of the wedding banquet? Matthew chapter 22, the parable of the wedding feast. Or in Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins. And what were they preparing for? A marriage feast? In Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, we hear this. Then the angel said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And of course, our Holy Communion service is a foretaste of this heavenly banquet in which we will participate one day when we leave planet Earth. A third thing that Jesus says here, he says that the door will eventually be closed. Look at verse 25. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, And you be, excuse me, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock saying, Lord, open to us, there will come a time when it will be too late to follow Jesus. There will come a time when the door will be shut. It will be too late to enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you remember the story that Jesus told of the rich man and Lazarus? In Luke chapter 16, verse 19, let me share it with you. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with the food that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores, And Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus, like manner, bad things, and now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. There will be a time when the door will be closed. Hebrews 9, chapter, 20, chapter 9, verse 27 says, It is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment. Not only will there be a time when the door will be closed, but some will enter and others will be left out. And this is not a popular notion, that some will enter and others will be left out. But verses 25, 27, and 28 all imply that some people will not enter the door before it's closed. Look at these people's reaction in verse 25. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock, saying, Lord, open to us. By the way, the word saying there is really, it's the sense of pleading. And the connotation in the Greek language, it's like if I ask you, um, are you hungry? Meaning that I'm hungry. You know what I'm saying? You ask somebody, are you hungry? Well, it's meaning you're hungry. Well, that's kind of the connotation here in the Greek in the sense that it's meaning pleading. It's, It's not just saying, it's pleading. Well, look at the master's response. Then he will answer, I do not know where you come from. I do not know where you come from pleading is not going to open the door. But then we see reminding. Verse 26, then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. Don't you remember us? We ate with you. We drank with you. We shared bread and wine at your table. And then look at the master's response. Verse 27, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Reminding is not going to open the door. And then we see weeping, verse 28. In that place there will be weeping. And, and the word here in the Greek language, again, is it's, it's a loud expression of grief. The King James translates this wailing, so weeping and wailing. You kind of get that sense of what I'm talking about. Weeping and wailing is not going to get you in. And then the verse continues that we see anger. Of the people, There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. Gnashing of teeth represents anger and anguish and indignation. It means you're really angry. You ever get really angry with somebody and you start... You know, you're know, so gnashing, a grinding of your teeth. Not everyone is going to get in. And some people are not going to be very happy about that. Then Jesus issues a warning, verse 30. Verse 30, And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Now he's not saying here that everyone who's last will be first and everyone who's first is going to be last, but he's saying that some who are first and some who are last What he means is he's saying there will be some good people that will not get in. There will be some religious people that will not get in. There will be some church people that will not get in. There will be some ministers who will not get in. Some priests who will not get in. Some bishops will not get in. Some who are first will be last. Now, I know we've heard some people say that it doesn't matter. Everybody makes it. But this is not the teaching of Jesus. We must enter by the narrow door, and that door is Jesus. Here he says, some will not make it, and the door will eventually close, and some will be left outside. Several years ago, a cardiologist from the University of Tennessee by the name of Dr. Morris Rawlings released a book entitled Near Death's Door. And Dr. Rawlings shared that while working in the emergency room, he and his associates interviewed over 300 people who claimed to have what's called a a near-death experience. They were clinically dead, but then they were brought back by some form of recitation. What made his study unique was that he conducted the interviews immediately after the experiences took place, not months or years later. This was important because the patients were still too shaken up to ignore or to reimagine what they'd been through. Nearly 50% reported encountering images of fire, tormented or tormenting creatures, and other sites hailing from a place very far different from heaven. It was interesting in follow-up interviews much later, many people had changed their story, apparently unwilling to admit to their families that they'd caught a glimpse of something that the Bible calls hell. And this is how Dr. Rawlings concludes his Study. He said, just listening to these patients has changed my life. There is life after death, and if I don't know where I'm going, it's not safe to die. Jesus issues a warning here, but too many people ignore his words. Not everyone will get in. Well, Lastly this morning, I think we ought to understand Jesus' definition of eternal life. Not only will this relieve some of our fears and concerns, but it'll give you confidence in your own salvation. Jesus gave us a definition of eternal life. In John chapter 17, verse 3, it's the only definition I know of in the Bible where where it's defined. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is not just something we experience when we leave our physical bodies, but it's something we experience right now on earth. Eternal life is the ability to know God, to have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. You can be religious and not know God. You can be a member of a church and not know God. You can even be a minister and not know God. But you cannot go to heaven unless you know Him. Eternal life is knowing God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name, and in Your name cast out demons and perform many miracles? And Just stop and think about that a minute. Those are pretty religious things. Casting out demons, prophecy, performing miracles... And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you apart from me, you evildoers. We can all learn about God. We can study our Bibles. We can read. We can study theology. We can learn the Nicene Creed. But there's a big difference about knowing about God and knowing God. Earlier this morning, Jeff and I were talking and he he made this comment. He said, you know, it's not what you know, but it's who you know. That's what salvation is all about. It's not what you do, it's who you know. You can know a lot about me. You can know that I'm married. You can know how old I am. You can know I have children. You can know even some of my hopes and dreams. But there's a difference between knowing about me and actually knowing me. Having a relationship with me. And it's the same with God. He will answer, I don't know you. Or where you are from, away from me, all you evildoers. Eternal life is knowing God. Do you know him this morning? Do you have that relationship with him this morning? The all-important eternal question that Jesus asked is, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he answers directly, wide is the expressway which leads to destruction Narrow is the door that leads to life. And then he gets personal with his questioner. Do all you can to enter through the narrow door. Do all you can to enter through the narrow door, which is Jesus. And this is where he's speaking to you and me today. Have you entered into eternal life? Have you entered through the narrow door? Do you have that personal relationship with him? I'm wondering if there's someone here who you'd like this, but you're holding on to something. It may be a sin. It may be a habit, a lifestyle. It may be something that you know you'll have to give up in order to follow Jesus, and it's holding you back. Isn't it time to let it go? You remember years ago the movie The Titanic came out? That was a real popular movie many years ago. Near the end of the movie, the two stars of the movie, Rose and Jack, end up surviving the sinking of the boat. And Jack's in the water, and Rose is floating on a piece of wood, and they're holding hands. And he's shivering, and eventually hypothermia kills him. And there's a crucial scene in the movie when the rescue boats come back to try to rescue anybody who was still alive. And she has to make a crucial decision. Does she hold on to the one she loves and die? Or does she let him go and live? If she doesn't let him go, she'll miss her opportunity to be saved. The door will be shut. It'll be too late. I wonder if you're holding on to something this morning and it's time to let it go so that you can be saved, so that you can live. It might be past hurts. It might be a habit. It might be something which has its hold on you. It might be fear about the future. I don't know what it is for you, but but you do. Jesus invites you to come, to come to him in faith and receive eternal life, the ability to know him in a personal way. Let it go and come and follow him. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.